Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Before we get into Hosea chapter 8, I want to ask you a question. Why does it hurt so much to be cheated on? Think about that. What is it about being cheated on that would sting so much? Think about it. Ponder it. Let it mull over in your mind. In an article by Psychology Today, a psychologist breaks down in her opinion why infidelity is so painful in a relationship. Dr. Brigard says, your beloved found someone who was better and more attractive than you in their eyes. Think about those words. Let me read that again. Your beloved found someone who was better and more attractive than you in their eyes. According to the doctor, it really boils down to a lover finding fulfillment somewhere else after they had committed to you. Now, even if you've never been cheated on in a relationship, you can imagine what it feels like. The betrayal, the deception, the dirtiness of the whole situation. If you have cheated or been cheated on in a relationship, my goal is not to make you feel guilty or less than or unfulfilled. In Christ, there is both fulfillment and forgiveness. You don't need to be weighed down by your past mistakes or the opinions of others or even the opinions of yourself. In Jesus, your life can move forward. The reason I begin with this question is because it is the entire book of Hosea that is terribly sad to dive into. It's not like other Old Testament books like Ruth or Esther where you're rooting for something to happen and you feel the sense of fulfillment when you finish the book. The book of Hosea is drawing parallels between a faithful husband and his cheating wife with God and his people. God is represented as a faithful husband and his people are the cheating spouse. Chapter eight of Hosea really shows the heart of God, the pain that God feels, the infidelity of God's people. As we dig into this chapter, I want you to ask yourself a question. Are you a cheating spouse? Not physically a cheating spouse. I'm not asking if you're faithful in your marriage. In the New Testament, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. What I'm asking is, are we a bride that has cheated on her husband? Have we cheated on the one that loves us? Have we betrayed the one that laid down his life for us? Now, Hosea 8 is somewhat of a climax in the book of Hosea. This is where God is going to get in the people's faces about what's been going on in their community. But how does a person cheat on God spiritually? Well, the people of Israel were cheating on God spiritually in a few different ways, and we're going to observe these throughout chapter 8. One of the ways was they were aligning themselves with pagans. Another way was they were worshiping idols and false gods. Another way was they were simply living in sin. And if we are not careful, church, 
we can fall into the same pitfalls that Israel did and cheat on God. And maybe you already are. We can divide Hosea chapter 8 into four main sections in regards to Israel, but we're going to cover five main points, and I'll explain as we go on. But if you're taking notes, the title of this message is The Forgotten God, Hosea chapter 8. And the first main point that we're going to cover is Israel's deception. Everyone say deception. Go ahead and look down at your Bibles. Hopefully you're there in Hosea chapter 8 by now. Go ahead and follow along in verses 1 and 2. And if you don't have your Bible, we're going to put the verses on the screen. Go ahead and look at verses 1 and 2. And this is God speaking to Israel. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Hosea chapter 8 begins with the blowing of a trumpet. It's a call to watchmen to sound the alarm. Warning, look out, this is happening. But why is the trumpet being blown? What is God warning against? Well, verse one goes on. A vulture is over the house of the Lord. Now, why why is this vulture over the house of the Lord? Well, it's for two reasons. The people of Israel have broken their covenant with God, and they have rebelled against God's law. But what does this terminology mean? What does it mean? What is this vulture referring to? Well, most scholars will come to one of two conclusions as to what this means. The first view is that this is a picture of a foreign nation coming in and attacking Israel. Most versions of the Bible outside of the English Standard Version will read eagle instead of vulture. An eagle is over the house of the Lord. Now, the eagle was the national emblem for Assyria, which we're going to get into, and they're going to play a part in Israel's future judgment. And although this interpretation of the text makes sense, and there's nothing wrong with this translation, it does leave a major problem. In the Old Testament, the phrase house of the Lord never refers to Israel as a nation or as a people. House of the Lord always refers to a sanctuary, the temple or the tabernacle. Typically, that's what house of the Lord refers to. And so if it doesn't mean Assyria, then that leads us into the second viewpoint. D.A. Garrett, in his commentary on Hosea, says that it is as though an unclean bird has descended on the house of the Lord. Now, any priest in his mind would become livid seeing a vulture on top of the temple. I I want you to imagine in your moment what a vulture is. Think of this massive bird that scavenges. It goes to dead animals and it picks off the flesh and that's how it keeps itself alive. Uh, Quite frankly, vultures are disgusting animals. This huge, disgusting bird is on top of the temple. God is calling his people to sound the alarm because filth has descended upon what is supposed to be the holiest place on earth. This filth has come through Israel's rebellion. Now, as we continue into verse two, we see the real deception that Israel, that I'm referring to here. Go ahead and look at verse two once again. To me, they cry, my God, we Israel know you. No. No. Yada is the Hebrew word that literally means to know. But this knowledge is a very special kind of knowledge. 
Now, me as an Eagles fan, just going to bring it out. Yeah, there we go. Got an Eagles fan in the front. There we go. Awesome. <laughs> you, you can even think of your favorite sports team or whatever. But for me as an Eagles fan, I know the quarterback Jalen Hurts, right? Great guy, I imagine, but whatever. I can list facts. I can know stats about him. But let me tell you, if I were to go up to his house and ring the doorbell, he is more likely to call his security guards than let me in to hang out with him. I know about him, but I don't know him. I know about him, but I don't know him. Yada, the Hebrew word, is not a factual knowledge. Yada is an intimate knowledge. In fact, it's the word, the Hebrew word that is used to describe intimacy between a husband and a wife. There's this vulnerability involved. There's this trust involved. There's this commitment involved. That is yada. And Israel claims to have this kind of intimate relationship with God. They say, oh, we know God. Oh, we are his people. We are the people of God. We belong to God. We yada God. But as we are about to see, they do not know God. They know about God. They've memorized the scriptures. They know the Bible. They know the rituals and all the things that they're supposed to do. But they do not have an intimate relationship with God. Israel has deceived itself. Now, if you'll join me, I want you to keep your finger in Hosea and go to the book of Matthew chapter 7. If you'd rather just listen, that's okay too. But compare this situation happening with Israel to some of the most terrifying words that Jesus ever spoke in all of scripture. Look at what it says in Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. If you're not there, just go ahead and take a moment and listen. Look at what Jesus says to these people on a mountain in the midst of the greatest sermon ever told. Jesus says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is not taking a moment to bag on prophecies or casting out demons or mighty works of the Spirit. He's not doing that. But he is telling us to ponder an essential question, a question that I want you to ponder in your heart today. Do you know God? Do you know God? Not factual knowledge, but are you intimately close with God? So many people think they are. We see the people of Hosea. They thought so. The Israelites thought so. We see these people on the mountain that Jesus is talking to. They thought so. We see in the New Testament that the Pharisees who came against Jesus thought they were good with God. So many people think they are good with God. You might even be sitting here today thinking you are good with God. But you can't know God through works. Believe it or not, it's not through casting out demons that you can know God. It is not through prophecies that you can know God. It is not through Bible knowledge or scripture memorization that you can know God. It is not through rituals or religions or routine that you can know God. You can't know God by anything that you can do. You can only know God by what he has done. 
Praise the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Dependency on Christ is the only way to know God. The only way to know God. The only way to be intimately close with God is through Jesus Christ. Only through God's death and resurrection can you know God. Think of the old song, what can wash away your sins? It's not the church. It's not the priests. It's not by anything you can do. The only thing that can wash away our sins is that precious, priceless blood of Jesus Christ. It is when you drift from this simple truth that you deceive yourself in your relationship with God, just like Israel did in Hosea. Friends, family, do you know God? That leads us into the second point that we're getting into today. After Israel's deception, we then see back in Hosea 8, Israel's decline. This is verses 3 through 6. Now, as we're going to read verses 3 through 6, I want you to take a moment and take note of how Israel's actions show how far they've fallen away from God. Not their words. They thought they were close with God. But take note as we read verses 3 through 6, how their actions show evidence that they are far from God. Follow along with me as we read verses 3 through 6. Israel has spurned the good. If you don't know what that word is, it basically means Israel has rejected the good. The enemy shall pursue him. Verse 4, they made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? Verse 6, for it, that is the calf, is from Israel. A craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. Relationship with God is all about coming to God on his terms, not our own. Sadly, the people of Israel wanted to do it their way, not God's way. They rejected the good, as it says in verse 3. And D.A. Garrett, once again on his commentary in Hosea, he points out that the word good is meant to be a general word, a generalization, if you will. These people have not just rejected one thing that is good, but they have rejected the goodness of God. They have rejected the goodness of God's word. They have rejected the good way to live that God has revealed to them. They have rejected the good that God wanted to give to them. They haven't rejected only one thing that is good. They have completely rejected the good God that loves them. And D.A. Garrett continues to point out that the opposite of rejection is to pursue. The opposite of rejection is to pursue. Verse 3 clearly states that as they have rejected the goodness of God, then the enemy has come to pursue them. Listen to what it says in James chapter 4, verse 4. Go ahead and just listen to this verse. James 4, verse 4. Listen to what it says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
In Hosea chapter 7, we saw that the people were mixing with the pagans around them. It is in the mixing with the pagans that they have truly rejected God. They received the pagan ways and thus they rejected the Lord's ways. Church, do we mix with the pagans? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that it is impossible to completely remove ourselves from this world. We're not going to get away from people that don't believe in Christ. And I don't think it's God's will that we really do at this moment. But do we mix the holiness of God with the wickedness of man in our lives? Really think about that. Ask the Lord to seek your heart. Check your heart right now in this moment. Do you mix the holiness of God with the wickedness of man? Are we partaking in the sin of this world that Jesus came to save us from? Look at what Israel was doing in verse 4. They tried to go behind God's back and raise up their own leaders. They tried to go behind God's back and raise up their own gods. It's so much deceit, so much backstabbing. It's comparable to a cheater running around behind the back of a faithful spouse. It's heartbreaking. Church, is this us? Is this us? Listen to these words from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Verse 15, what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Friends, we as Christians are called to be different from this world because our Savior was different. Do we reject the goodness of God and live out our lives in ways that displease God? As Israel rejected the goodness of God, God rejected their foolish religion. Go back to Hosea chapter 8. Look at what it says right there in verse 5. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. As Samaria was pushing God away with its fake and foolish religion, God was rejecting their foolish religion. I don't understand how people back in the Old Testament were able to mold something with their own hands out of metal and then bow down and worship it as if it were God. To me, it sounds stupid. And quite frankly, God looks at it as stupid and it angers God. But in reality, it's not that far off from what we do today. We place the things of this world above God. We focus more on our 401k rather than what God would have us do with our finances. We focus more on getting that entertainment system than spending time with Jesus. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we worship that which we've created with our own hands. The man-made things. The things that the creation has created is placed above the creator. And God proceeds in verse 6 to call out this asinine way of thinking. 
The problem with Israel wasn't their lack of knowledge. They knew the truth. They had heard the truth. It is one thing, though, to know the truth and another to practice the truth. Listen to what it says in James 1, verses 21 and 22. Listen to this. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. How appropriate to this text in Hosea. God is not impressed with our Bible knowledge, believe it or not. There has to be action behind the words, friends. We can't just sit in that church, hear some nice music, a biblical teaching, and continue to walk in the same way that we always have. We need to hold every part of our lives with an open hand saying, God, take from me what you will. My life is yours. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to be willing to change with whatever God wants for us. Either God is our God or he is not. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, as my dad has said. Do you really belong to God? We must be cautious, church. It can be so easy for us to become deceived in our relationships with the Lord. And as soon as we become deceived, spiritual decline is right around the corner. And that leads us into the third section, Israel's discipline. We looked at Israel's deception. We've looked at Israel's decline. Now let's look at Israel's discipline, verses 7 through 10. Now we're going to break this down verse by verse. But before we get into that, spiritual deception and spiritual decline are always a preface to spiritual discipline. Think about that. Really think about that. Spiritual deception and spiritual decline are always a preface to spiritual discipline. This is the part of Hosea where God declares what Israel's discipline is going to look like. Go ahead and look at verse 7. Like I said, we're going to take this down verse by verse. So Hosea chapter 8, let's look at verse 7. For they, that's Israel, sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. What's God talking about there? Sowing the wind. I want you to imagine for a moment a farmer. Back in Jesus' time, back in the time of Hosea, back in biblical times, you would see this farmer, and as he is planting a crop, he would walk along the fields, and he would toss seed. He would toss seed. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, you're walking out, and it's super windy, and rather than tossing the seed to the ground, you grab the seed and you throw it up in the air. And you're like, ah, there it goes. The wind would just carry it away, right? You would look foolish. The wind will carry that seed and you will never see that crop. God is saying that they will not reap a harvest for their actions, if you sow to the wind, you will reap a windstorm, is what God is saying. And what that means, to sow to foolishness is to reap trouble. To sow to foolishness is to reap trouble. And trouble indeed is coming their way. Listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Friends, let's do a heart check real quick. In our lives, are we sowing to the Spirit or are we sowing to the flesh? Where are we casting our seed? Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.